Well, we do have a parishioner um, that her child plays for the Broncos. Whoa. And so, yeah, he, I there's guess a he's child. Come in. There's a child on the Broncos? Her child. So it, he's not a child. Well, he, I guess he's a child of hers. But, An adult uh, child. He's a child of God. Go on. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Here's the the topic I had, unless you guys... Mike's topic was very good last It was week. good. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank uh-huh. you, guys. Um, yeah, for, you know you know, his standards. Anyway. Um, that hurts. That hurts. That's such an yep. unnecessary pot shot. Yeah. <laughs> yep. um, so just, just, it's kind of, it's pretty general, but just a, um, to talk about like what masculinity is and what it actually looks like today. And I was I was actually thinking about this when I was watching the Super Bowl of like, man, it's there's just like so much going on in this screen from like these players that are freaking beasts of human beings and but like oftentimes are total just idiots as well and certainly like don't know what it means to be be a man. Um, and, and, and just like the, the halftime show, the halftime show of the Super Bowl always ends up like weirding me out at some point. (laughs) Um, and I was thinking about, um, just as I've been like, I don't know, a few days in the parish or whatever, it's like, really, what does like an authentic masculinity looks like? Because five years ago, I would have said like, well, it looks like, you know, what I, grew up um seeing so the guys that uh you know i love to drink whiskey and smoke cigars and grew up playing sports and hunting and fishing and like that's all great um but i remember one time we were talking we had a talk on um at the seminary uh that father baron gave and he was i think you would remember this mike but he was talking about with uh you know, when, when Ratzinger was in seminary, he said he would actually like journal about how all the other guys like to play sports or do all this other stuff, but he preferred to like walk in the gardens amongst the flowers and, and things like that. And he was like, so, you know, you can't, you can't project a false masculinity on different guys. Um, so I know that's a very broad topic, but, and if it doesn't go anywhere, we can, we can certainly switch, but I don't know. It's just one of the things like I had a desire to flesh out a little bit more even of like really like what does that look like? How do you, you know, how do you like teach that, um, live that, et cetera? You got any thoughts, Father? Well, it's funny. I just gave a talk on this, um, not on masculinity in general, but fatherhood mm-hmm. in uh, this past fall, I think October, November. I went up to a parish men's conference and gave a 45-minute spiel on fathers and sons. Um, 
because my father was a big part of my <clears throat> not just life in general but especially uh, kind of taking the faith seriously after he converted when I was in high school from an atheist to a Catholic and reading the Bible with me and taking me to confession and a lot of the stuff that maybe should have happened when I was a kid going through religious ed but never did but um, when I was that age of like adolescence when you're most insecure and most kind of looking for an identity there my dad was who I'd always looked up to teaching me the faith and that had a huge impact on me um, but I think that you know when I talk to young men or boys about masculinity, what it means to be a man, I always say that it means to be a husband and a father in some way, you know, that that is the deepest identity of a man is to, to give life and to protect it. Uh, and we kind of feel inadequate if we don't have A, the ability to do that, or B, people who want us to do that for them, you know. Um, and so I think one of the, you know, the kind of the what some have called the feminization of the western culture is just kind of a we don't need men to do this stuff or most of your work is not uh, putting roofs over people's heads it's like sitting in an office and um, then you get kind of a, a skewed view of masculinity uh, because we feel we feel emasculated so it comes out in sort of immature and knee-jerk ways like well I'm just going to punch somebody in the face and get drunk and plays cards that's what it means to be a dude dude sounds like my sunday at the parish <laughs> Jeez, uh, almighty and it's a completely immature view of what it means to be a man but i think that this is one of the big questions for sure especially with all this gender identity politics stuff going on um that the catholic church I heard a priest once say, if they if they throw us to the wolves or throw us to the lions for any reason in this generation, it'll be because of this, that we think that gender means something. Uh, and I think, I don't know, I don't want to be apocalyptic about it, but it is true. So we have to have a uh, concrete, you know, vision of what it means to be a man. Uh, but one of the things that I read this book, uh, skimmed it, Boys Adrift, it's by a uh, psychologist i think was it leonard Sachs or somebody like that um and it was about the the lack of i mean one of his big theses is theses if you will in the book is that there's no male uh agreed upon male initiation rights in our culture anymore like all the ancient cultures or any culture that's lasted over a thousand years has um a consistent male initiation where they do something difficult that requires uh, independence and self-sacrifice and bravery um, before they can be, that tests kind of their resourcefulness and stuff and uh, gives them an identity and a you know, self-esteem that's not just like given to them, but that they have to earn in a way before they can be considered men eligible for marriage and child rearing. Uh, and he said something interesting, which I think is true, that you can't, in order to be a man, you must see a man. That being a man is not like turning 18 and having male genitals. It's doing something like this, where you uh, have to conquer your own selfishness and move from child to adult, but in the male mode that, you know, requires 
deep sacrifice and for the sake of the other that utilizes your strength, but not to oppress the weak, but to protect them. Um, and he said, you can turn, you can't turn a bully into a flower child, but you can turn a bully into a knight, you know, uh, by redirecting, redirecting that, that energy. Um, but you know, it's funny, like just in my own life, I don't know if this is going anywhere, but so the movie, the movie Rocky was a huge part of my adolescence. <laughs> that explains so much. Really? Dude. Like you what? You should have told it me really that. Does. Just yeah. everything about you. Everything. <laughs> Go like, on. Start to finish. Do you just continue? We'll see how, like how much this flushes out of my brain. <laughs> okay. You, if you should have began our friendship with that, said, Hey, just to let you know, Rocky had a big influence on my life. So now let's start. I'm not kidding, man. It was, I don't know. I think, you know, it was back in the day when you'd rent movies from the blockbuster and you'd have them for three days. And my mom thought I would like this movie. I was probably 12 years old. And so I watched it by myself. Maybe it was the summertime or something like that. I had a lot of time. So I remember sitting in the TV room watching this movie and it was unlike any movie I'd ever chosen to watch because it's kind of slow, um, especially the first one. And it's, I don't know, it's not a lot of action, but something about the story and especially the character really drew me in. And, you know, of course, you got the training montages, which are just awesome. That makes mm-hmm. you want to conquer the world. But it was also like complex in the fact that it wasn't just this stupid story where, you know, he beats the bad guy. It was more complex. Maybe it was the first time I watched a movie that was a little bit more human like that, where, you know, you didn't really hate the guy he was fighting. He wasn't obviously evil and he didn't just get pummeled by the good guy. And then that was it, you know, because Rocky ends up losing in the end, but it's still a victory. You know, it's like the sort of defeat mixed with triumph and I don't know. I was just caught by it. So I watched it probably three, maybe four times before I returned it and memorized some of the lines of like when Mick is yelling at him in the gym and, hey, man, yeah, yeah. And Mick's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just loved all these characters. <laughs> what was Nick like again? <laughs> <laughs> and Rocky's like, oh, do, 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 do. Dude, you're making personalities. <laughs> 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 Spot on, dude. <laughs> it is spot on. I can just see it now. Oh my gosh. But you see in the movies, right? <clears throat> A- absolutely. Okay, they were good. very formative in my high school years. <laughs> so I I end up uh successively renting all of them in a mm-hmm. row and watching them all. I would say two was my least favorite. Two and five. Yeah. Yeah. And then two, yeah, uh, exactly. three was okay and four was awesome. Four was four was insane. amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has Absolutely. two training montages. Mm-hmm. It has two, but and, it also and a has... montage where he's just driving around in his fancy car to the song. There's no easy way out. <laughs> yeah. There's no shortcut home. Dude, when he lands in Russia and they play the East versus West song, it gets me, man. Like Ooh. more than maybe any other movie. Is it scene. East versus West? Oh, oh man, man against man. man. Dude, that's why I'm telling you, you want to make a good movie or write a good story, get a good Russia. villain. Oh, and, I, thought, well, you, I thought it was Russia. Well, all good continue. villains are from Russia. So it's the oh, same that's thing. That's so true. Yeah, look, the, the look at Die Hard thing. 3. Look at Die Hard 3. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Look at Air Force 1. 
<laughs> no, that's that's totally true. That's totally true. All or the, all or the Mr. best T. movies. Mister T is a good bad guy as well. Mm-hmm. Eh. He was a he was a fun bad guy. Because part of you wanted to be Mr. T, but you're like, whoa, he's way too cool for me to be Mr. T. Well, see, you know? the reason Mr. T beat him in that movie the first time was because he was being Rocky. You know, he was the guy like doing pull-ups on a uh, wooden, mm. wooden yeah. like rafter, you know, yeah. and not didn't yeah. have any money. All he cared about was was fighting because all he knew he, how to do. And Rocky was being Apollo. Yeah, which exactly. He later died for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Apollo died. I was thinking Dude. about that with the Super Bowl, you know, because there's so many. Think about how long the commercial breaks are, and those guys are just standing there on the field. The, all week they've been taking pictures and going to parties, and you're like, is this really the like apex of this sport? Mm. I mean, it's so there's so much frill to it that I can't I can't really get into it, you know? Yeah. So look, is there a conclusion to your Rocky talk? Or yeah, there really is, and it's gonna blow it. you away. Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> so I start doing like push-ups and sit-ups in my room because I wanted to be like Rocky, and this was. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? I was hoping your story would take this turn. <laughs> so yeah. that was a. I really wanted to be like him, and um, I don't know. It was a simple, simple enough story that you could just like look up to this ideal and, and part of it was honestly his humility you know and the story like in rocky 3 how he loses because he's kind of full of himself and doesn't think he has to train hard um, all of that stuff is a good lesson you know like he's not he's not gutting it out he's not sacrificing and um we talked about how that doesn't exactly line up with the spiritual life but uh, there's something kind of in boys in general i think that hunger is to be tested you know like when i got done with high school i was kind of thinking boy should i just join the army because i kind of want to go through boot camp and just do something super hard um and just to see if i can do it you know i grew up in the suburbs nothing never had to like really work hard uh, or sacrifice kind of was this milk toast upbringing and that's why i ended up fighting forest fires part of the reason was that i i needed to do that for my own self like to see to kind of test my mettle and grow up a little bit in that way. But anyways, you know, then they made a Rocky Six, which I think came out when I was in college. I went and saw that in the theater. It was a little bit over the top, how he's like in his 50s and he's (laughs) fighting, you know. But okay, whatever, I'll grant it. Of course I'm going to see it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I got a little teary, like at the end, they um, in the ending credits, they had just everybody... Every time Dick and Harry, every shape, size, and color of person running up the steps of the Philadelphia Museum, which is the iconic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, poster type scene in that movie. In many of the movies, he runs to the top and looks over the Philadelphia skyline with his arms in the air. And so they had a bunch of people, just like everybody, kids, old people, whatever. And they're, you know, some of them are holding American flags. And I was like, why is this making me? misty (laughs) but it was something about it was making me misty and like and it lined up with the whole america thing and whatever but anyways a couple weeks ago maybe maybe a month ago it was a friday and the office is closed on friday even though i work i have stuff to do but phones aren't ringing and i didn't have anything between like noon and six o'clock when i had bible study with the kids and I'm looking at my schedule, my to-do list. I'm like, man, I, I really don't have anything pressing. 
maybe I'll go see a movie. So I look at my uh, phone, what movies are out, and Creed, the newest mm-hmm. Rocky, is out. Have you guys seen this movie yet? I, have I haven't. Mm. Can I ruin it? Please. Mike, yeah. You sure? Yeah. yeah. I, you know, it's not, you know what's going to happen, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing that kind of surprised me. Okay. So basically the storyline is, uh, by the way, this, I was just talking about this the other day with some people, how I never got into the whole Star Wars story or universe or Lord of the Rings for that matter. Or any, any of these things where you have to kind of imagine a completely different universe and like all of the different characters and their backgrounds and who comes from what family, but Rocky I can do that. Like, so they bring back Creed supposedly had an illegitimate, illegitimate child, you know, that nobody knew about that grew up in an orphanage. And then after he died in Rocky four, his wife adopted this kid and raised him. And now he's got a fancy desk job, but he's always, he's got the heart of a fighter because his dad is Creed, you know, yeah, and nobody knows it, but him anyways so he goes to philadelphia and wants rocky to train him rocky of course the whole first quarter of the movie is the drama of no man i don't do that anymore and one of the constant refrains of the rocky movies is that he's not into boxing he's just not into it but then he has to because it's his job and it's his duty and he and america depends on it yeah we depend on him to do it yeah so he ends up training the kid and they get to be, of course, really close friends. And it's kind of like a father son relationship. Anyways, if you know, in Rocky six, Adrian is not in that movie because she died of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah. And he's basically Rocky didn't have much money because Paulie lost it all after Rocky four. And he just runs a restaurant called Adrian's. So he's still just a humble little Philly guy, big Philly guy, as it were. And he ends up getting kind of sick uh, during one of the training sessions, goes to the doctor. turns out he has cancer. <sighs> okay. Mm. So he, he just kind of takes off his hat and he's like, okay, well, I guess that's it. And she's like, well, here are your treatment options. And, you know, we can start chemo as soon as possible. And he's like, no, no, no. My wife did that. It didn't do anything. I th- this is just time, you know? And he takes it like a, like a man, you know, takes it on the chin, but he's like, this is how it is. And at this point, I'm starting to get a little bit, not upset, but I see where this is going kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he, she's like, we'll just take the literature, um, you know, in case you change your mind. So he puts it in his jacket pocket and he goes back to the gym to work out with the kid who is training for this big fight. And the kid's done training. He comes back into the locker room before Rocky and he sees this stuff sticking out of Rocky's jacket. And he pulls it out and it's got this chemo stuff. And he's like, oh, man. And then Rocky comes in the locker room and he's like, when, when were you going to tell me about this? You, when do you start treatment? And he's like, hey, listen, kid, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. you know." And he's explaining to him that he's just going to you know, take the time he has left. And the kid starts freaking out. And, uh, and they're in this boxing locker room with all these old boxing posters, you know, of like, big fights from the seventies or sixties or whatever. And, um, this is when I started crying. Cause Rocky's like, look kid, all these people, these are the people in my life and they're all gone. I'm the only one here. My wife is gone. My kid moved away. My best friend is dead. You know, this is it. And he's not being mean about it. He's not being cruel. He's just saying how it is like, 
my life is over. I've done what I've done. You know, I, I was the champ and that's it. Now it's your turn. And, and so I started weeping because I'm like, okay, I get where they're going with this. You know, this person who I, I, and I couldn't really put my finger on it at the time. And it was me and one other dude in the whole theater. So I felt, <laughs> <laughs> I felt very at liberty to, to emote however I felt like <laughs> it. Sorry, I'm sure he was weeping as well. <laughs> well, he I wasn't promise. because here's what happened. You know, they go on, he ends up getting treatment. The kid convinces him and he's like doing push-ups while Rocky's getting chemo. I mean, it's like, it's like if you saw, you know, your greatest hero, you know, dying or, you know, sitting in a chair, all losing his hair. And I don't know, it was very, for a stupid movie about boxing, it really worked, you know? Anyways, the fight, I won't tell you how it ends, but afterwards... Him and Creed's son are walking up the steps of the Philadelphia Museum. And Rocky is like out of breath and he can hardly make it up and he's having to like brace himself against the kid. And then they get to near the tippy top and Rocky's like, here, let me, I got this last couple. And he's he kind of hobbles up these stairs and you're looking at this guy. And first of all, the dude in front of me in the theater, the only other guy, leaves after the fight is over and doesn't watch this denouement falling action thing, which I'm like, are you kidding me, dude? It'll take you like three minutes to sit through the most poignant part of this movie. <laughs> Clearly, you did not grow up idolizing this character. <laughs> so he's walking up the last couple steps and he's kind of like, you know, leaning, leaning on his knees as they turn around and look back at Philadelphia. And finally catches his breath. He looks up and the kid is next to him. Rocky's there, big and old dying and sick and he looks out and he just goes man it's like you can see your whole life from up here and that's when i was just like <laughs> exploded dude <laughs> i still can't uh i can't put my finger on what all happened to me interiorly but i i'm thinking that it's a little bit of the old phrase like you can't you can't ever go home you know kind of like Christmas as a kid had a certain feel to it and if you try to make Christmas like it was when you were a kid it's never going to be that way you know yeah. everything's changed yeah. uh, there's things about our our childhood or our past that we kind of idolize or put as the like the golden era or or people that we hold up as like the example and this was just I guess I didn't realize this was just one of those things that had really been formative for me um, and sort of spoke to something deep in my heart as a boy and hear this character, dumb as he is, you know, just kind of a brute brawler, but I really loved him and he did something for me, you know, he got me to do push-ups even though he doesn't exist in reality, you know. But he, that's one of the things that's amazing about Rocky. He actually has a statue now in Philadelphia. Right. Right. I, so well, he, I like, don't know if it's in that spot, but I do, I know it exists. He like broke into reality. He was such an incredible movie character <laughs> that he came and like affected real things. That's incredible, man. Yeah. They have a statue of a movie guy in the city. That's how iconic that movie was. Absolutely. So I don't know. If that answers your question, Juice. <laughs> oh my! Was that the answer to the masculinity question? <laughs> You're... Well, I, I was trying to make the point, like in order to be a man, you have to see a man. 
and yeah. we, we we do we take our cue on what what it means to be a man from from others yeah you know? that's very true no that's doubt true. well i could see him as being like personifying a lot of your childhood or a lot of your high school and important times of you as a as an individual so when he's looking up saying you can see your whole life from here he's kind of speaking in persona connor or like for you something like like that yeah and so it's it's a simple line but it holds a lot of history in it like a lot of memories are simply going on in that in that one line even you just saying that is making me emotional that's so true like even when my dad and i read the gospel of luke together for the first time i remember kind of putting it into rocky categories like where you know jesus was saying stuff and the pharisees were coming up and trying to get him you know and the pharisees are these big bad authorities and jesus is just this whatever itinerant rabbi and he owns them in these discussions where it's like render unto caesar what's caesar's and what's the god what's god's and they have to go away ashamed and just like yeah get him jesus Ooh, yeah left to right hook <laughs> Dude, I, honestly, Connor, I I can't say that I resonate with your deep love for Rocky. Um, By the way, this is what every guy who's really into Star Wars or Star Trek or anything like that sure feels like when you're like, uh, yeah, dude, it's just a movie. <laughs> it's, I'm not into it. I don't really get it. Yeah. So anyway, hey, which I do many... constantly to other people, but yeah, no, it, but the point is like, I am honestly blown away of even that connection you just made from like reading the gospel of Luke with your dad and those, like all those Rocky movies, dude, that's, that's incredible of like, just how cool it is to be Catholic. The fact that like God very tangibly worked through the Rocky movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, yeah, in a weird, in a weird way. I didn't know where you were going with it when you, you walked through, you know, your childhood and all of the, <laughs> all of the Rocky movies. I'm gonna have to cut that out for just the highlights. <laughs> um, but that's an amazing story, man. And I think sometimes, like, I don't know, stuff like that from. My own childhood of like, I mean, the absolute, the absolute for me, like, icon of a, a true masculinity is my dad. And like all these stories of hunting and fishing growing up with him and him coaching my sports teams and um, all this stuff. And I mean, it is like, I think, you know, it's just kind of that both and of like, yeah, my dad isn't isn't perfect. And I've had to like coming to know God as my father. There has been like some realizations where like very much my dad isn't isn't perfect. But but still, it's like God chose to um, work through him. Like I understand God as father because I understand my dad as father. You know, that's how it tangibly worked in in my life. Um but all that stuff, like, we can't dismiss that stuff, you know? And if we do, um, you know, for me, it's not the Rocky movies, but, like, yeah, you should take that very seriously. Like, that's something to be thankful and honestly in awe of, that God could work through these movies that powerfully. Anyway, it, kind of feels si- it kind of feels silly because right. they are just movies. But honestly, I don't 
cry very often. I think the last time I cried before that movie was Cardinal, Cardinal George, George video. Yeah, Cardinal George died, and I yeah. watched that video. And there you go. There's another. It's an, a totally different aspect of masculinity, but there was a hero that mm-hmm. I looked up to, and now he's gone. And now I can, you can like when I got the call that Cardinal George died from a friend. I was in the car. I was driving to the highway to go somewhere. And I, I can put myself back right into that little red truck, turning mm-hmm. on to 94. The moment I thought to myself, the world is empty of Cardinal George. It no longer, no longer has him in it. And I'm driving through it as if nothing's changed and everybody else is doing the same thing. But the world is totally different now because he's gone. Yeah. And, I mean, all these, so many great men and women have died uh, in the history of humanity and that that's the constant story is just like it keeps going mm-hmm. but it's poorer the world is poorer for not having these people in them because that's it's like you say that's that's how we grow is looking at other people you know none of us are none of us are self-made men but there is something like even even in that example of like when cardinal george died like there's something just haunting in that as well of all of a sudden like the world is without him. And I think he had the biggest impact on you, but we did that whole episode on the impact that Cardinal George had on each of us, Mm -hmm. you know? And I know C.S. Lewis in his book, a grief observed after his wife died, he talks about like one of the observations he makes in his grieving process is like sitting outside contemplating the stars and realizing that even if he had the capacity to to search every nook and cranny of the entire universe, he couldn't find her. And so it's like him coming to this realization of like she still exists on her own, but it's not through his power. And so it's beautiful because the way I read that was like Lewis eventually gets to like the relationship with her is still real, but it's on God's terms. It's not on his terms. Hmm. And it's like this grasping of him to want to go back the way things were. And that can't be. And I think that's, maybe that is tied to masculinity in its, in its own way. I remember father de Gaulle talking about one time of like your base identity you know, he's talking to a group of seminarians and he was like, you have to understand your identity as a son and you have to know yourself as a son. And like in that capacity, then you can dare to be a father. And he talked about like that with John Paul II is, you know, in a time when like a very confused time in the world and the church, et cetera, John Paul II dared to be an authentic father, but it came through his identity as a beloved son of God. Um, and, you know, even that was like in the announcement when he died, I don't know who made it, whatever Cardinal it was, but it was like today we all feel like orphans. Like we know how that feels mm-hmm. after losing this figure of John Paul II. Um, and so there's something like tied it, you know, it's maturing and it's um, like extremely wild in a way of like, moving forward has to be on God's terms. It can't be on ours. But at the same time, like if we do understand what real masculinity is, if we understand God as our father, then like there's still a safety there 
So I don't know, man. It's it's a muddled like thing to really dive into the mystery of it. Um, those are just a few thoughts, I guess. Yeah, well, it, and even throughout like a lot of just talking through all of it and just now is the realization that like there is a lot of fear at times of moving forward. You know, you talked about you can't come home, Connor, that's what you're saying, and then Rob, you're even talking about like moving forward on God's terms. And if you don't, yeah, if you don't have a <clears throat> a solid identity moving forward, then like w- w- in what way are you moving forward and what is your stability? Sort of what if, what is your sense of safety as you move forward? And yeah, that's a real tough, tough part of especially becoming a man, masculinity developing on your own, uh, because I think there's a ton of lies around what masculinity is that one, firstly, have to be rejected. But then two, like what you're saying, father, you have to look to a man in your own life, uh, a father, someone who you like a mentor, a model, someone who you desire to be like. Um, And I heard a a really, excuse me, I heard a really cool story. I went and hiked uh, just a little mountain Saturday morning with JP and another one of my younger brothers. And uh, it's super fun hiking with them. But then even there, like feeling a big, uh, I don't know, like being a mentor to my little brothers, which was really, really sweet being out in nature and being able to walk with them and talk with them. And even my little brother was just yapping the whole time, just talking and talking. He's talking about bear stories, bear attack stories the whole time. <laughs> like, dude, I, I did tell him that story of the dude who breaks the bear's neck with a punch, yes. which I remember you telling me, <laughs> which he was blown away by. And then it's, so it's this constant one upping that's going on. And it's like <laughs> super cold morning. And there's like a sense of this is difficult, but we wanted to see the sunrise and, so we get up to the top and we're like, we climb this tree. <laughs> so not only do we get to the top, <laughs> we get to the top of the mountain, which we hike this thing in the dark so that we could see the sunrise. But we we get to the top and then we find the biggest tree at the top and climb to the top of the tree <laughs> on top of the mountain so that we could see the sunrise. And like... <laughs> Everyone else is up there watching and they're probably thinking, who the heck are these weirdos standing, whatever. So it was very, very enjoyable. Um, and one of, the, one of the stories that JP was telling me was he saw a special at one point where a rite of initiation, um, which you mentioned earlier, Father, mm-hmm. which honestly, if, if I had to put my finger on like a rite of initiation now, it would seriously be something like college, like which is kind of absurd, but a lot of times that's when guys go through, like they have to be resourceful. They have to, it's like some absurd hazing process that tests the manhood of Americans. I don't, I mean, it's kind of odd, but that's, that's the closest thing that I could point to that we have in our culture. Um, But one of the things that, that he said, one of the rites of initiation that it was an Aborigines people and he was saying that they have to, when they're like 12 or 13, sit on a stump for the entire night. They have to sit on a stump for the entire night. And this is like in the jungle where they have wild creatures and wild animals that are cruising around. And so they, they just have to sit there. And whatever happens, they, they have to stay on the stump. And not only that, but they have to wear a blindfold the entire time. 
And so I guess like most of the kids, when they're sitting on the stump, um, a lot of them will just cry the entire night because they're absolutely terrified. They have no clue what's going on around them. And they're in the jungle sitting on the top of a stump. This is ridiculous. Um, but then eventually, like the way that they're set up, they can feel the sun hitting them at their feet and working their way up their body. And then eventually once they can feel it on top of their head, they go on and they take off the blindfold. And the thing is when they take off their blindfold, it turns out that um, what they what they see straight ahead of them is their father sitting on a stump right across from them, and he's been watching them and protecting them the entire night without Dude. them knowing it. Whoa. Dude. Yeah, which yeah. I think is a very, I think it's an apt image for what we're talking about, but it's also very powerful in the sense of your father is always looking out for you even when you're totally blind and even when you have no clue what the heck is going on around you. So I guess they like feel things crawling on them and they're like freaking out and just crying. And sometimes you feel like you have no clue where you are. I, I can't see anything, but the reality that your dad is always looking out for you, that no matter like what happens to you, you're still a son gives you that courage to stay there. And, and I think, um, I don't know. I mean, that story was just like very, very powerful I think apt also to what we're talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you said about moving forward um, because I think what maybe what's kind of heartbreaking about losing these kind of male figures, real or fictitious is, okay, they're not going to be here anymore. I'm by myself. Hmm. You know, even if I didn't see Cardinal George that often, I leaned on him being there, you know? Yeah. And yep. knowing the things that he knew and having the strength that he had and patience and all, all, all the many things that I admired about him. I'm like, well, that that resource is just not there anymore. Yeah. You know, and mm -hmm. uh, what's beautiful about that image is like they, it's kind of a trick. You know, they fool the kid into thinking the dad isn't there. And I imagine the moment you take off that blindfold, the, the lasting impression for the rest of your life is that someone's looking out for you. You know, yeah. <clears throat> even though that father will one day die and won't literally be looking out for you anymore, it, it forms a, a profound uh, image in your, in your brain, in your psyche, in your heart, that you're not alone. Relax. I will say this. One of my least favorite lies on towards masculinity is at some point, and I don't know, maybe this is just me and my weird friends growing up, but like the arts in general we're kind of looked down upon as being uh, more feminine, not like, I mean, I did theater and uh, like I was even in musicals and things like that, but like painting or singing or um, yeah, like just even observing beauty and allowing yourself to be taken up by beauty or eh, not so much good literature, but yeah, I'd say more so in the arts. That was very, I don't know if that was the same for you guys, but. No, it's girly like, men. <sighs> gir, yeah, girly men do like, you know, sculpting and painting and mm -hmm. and singing. Those are like my favorite things now, <laughs> which is very, very odd. But I, I can remember being a little kid and being at a funeral of a cousin who passed away. And uh, having that notion of like crying isn't what guys do, whatever, body blah. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking over and seeing my father and was just like crying, not, I, I wouldn't say weeping, but like deeply 
deeply grieving and deeply moaning the loss of this person. And immediately, immediately, I wanted to cry. Like, whoa, look at this. It flipped my world upside down. And then afterwards, I wanted to tell everyone that I was crying because I saw my dad doing it. And I knew that like this, this was a truly masculine experience that was happening. Um, And there's, I mean, I can look at my own life and see a number of moments where these lies that I thought like, oh, men don't do that because men are just like barbarians and we love smashing heads together, blah, blah. No, man, the, the human person, the man look at, look at gates of fire. The second, the second most respected and loved person on the battlefield was the guy who could sing. Singing was the second greatest gift, of course, next to like speed and athleticism Mm -hmm. because they wanted to kill everyone. But (laughs) singing, singing, the art of singing, you were like exalted and loved by everybody because you could just go around and inspire human beings and move their heart in a way that no other man would be able to do. Yeah. Um, Or even in that book, like after the battle, they said every battle afterwards there was always given like a certain amount of time where every man like from the the greatest officer or king to the the lowliest spartan would just bawl their eyes out yeah. um because the experience was so raw of like they were so close to death and the whole capacity of like why did this guy on my right die but I didn't mm. um and i remember that like kind of moving me when i was reading that book of that was just part of the spartan culture was that like you needed to to do that um, after the battle, you know, on top of like the physical exhaustion and and everything. And so, yeah, I, I vividly remember the first time at my grandpa's funeral when I saw my dad um, cry. And it really was. I've never articulated like that. But that's one of the most masculine experiences I think I had growing up. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Try telling Leonidas that he's not a man. He'll yeah. kick you. Yeah. Kick you no, into a pit. Try it, Connor. <laughs> Try this it. This is Sparta. <laughs> <laughs> this is masculinity. <laughs> one okay. last one last thought. So the uh, a couple weeks ago, I gave this talk on confession. I think I mentioned before, and uh, afterwards there was time for confessions. And this is something I think I'm going to have to work into talks, especially to teenagers from now on, because I've noticed it as a pattern that you go, and especially if uh, there's not time for everybody to go, or if it's not mandatory that you go to confession. All the girls come and the boys chicken mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I even cool. noticed it like because I was sitting in the back of the church. I could see the people lining up to go and see the people that were kind of like trying to sit as far away from the line as possible and closest to the door mm-hmm. so that they could run away like cowards. And it was just like this burgeoning group of teenage boys kind of like huddling together away from the fear of exposing themselves or being vulnerable or anything like that. And I thought, man, this is like, it reminded me of um, Mike Warden, who is a priest now and lived across the hall from me on Three North, talking about a mission trip he went on with some teenagers from his parish. And all the boys would like, it was took him forever to get them out of bed in the morning to get like to the, whatever it was, Habitat for Humanity or something like that, to get them to the work site. They're just dragging their feet and being lazy teenage boys. And then it would come time for nighttime, like reflection. Let's talk about our experience. What do we see today? Where was God at work? And they would just sit there and not say anything. And he was kind of pushing them on it. And they're like, I guess we just don't like talking about our feelings and whatever. 
And Mike just goes, well, yeah, it's no wonder you don't like talking about your feelings because you guys are completely ruled by your feelings. <laughs> In the morning, <laughs> oh, I feel tired. I don't want to, I feel, I don't feel like I want to talk. <laughs> you guys are being a bunch of wimps and it's unmanly. And I think that like, I responded to tough love. I mean, it's not always the nicest way, uh, but sometimes you need it like just a smack in the face verbally. Like, hey, you're being a coward or you are completely ruled by your emotions and are afraid to talk about it. Mm. Uh, and that itself is a feeling. Fear mm. is a feeling and you're mm. being ruled by it. And if like, oh, I don't want to express my feelings through song and crying because that's what girls do. You're like, mm, maybe you're just afraid. Uh, because what's really manly mm. is this like engaging real life and everything about being a human being male or female um i don't know that's the no, way dude. i feel about it no that's it's funny hey guys oh. i have to get going i'm sorry okay, okay. yeah no, my, my priest is waiting on eh, way to ruin it yeah, sorry thanks. sorry thanks mike thanks well yeah no blessings on your internships thank you thank you guys this is such a treat i'm looking forward to doing this every week i think For to sure. be a man is to love jesus that's that's the really the answer yeah, and but, to podcast about it. And to podcast about it. Okay. Oh, yeah. No. That, all right. I, hey. That's in there. Yep. Pray for pray for me, and I'll pray for you guys. All right. Yeah. We'll do. You as well. Talk to you guys yeah. soon. All right. See you. All right. See you guys. Peace. Are you ready? Three dogs north are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.